I'm here with uh, Cameron. We're going to uh, talk about his West Australian racing service and uh, find out a bit about him. So, uh, hi, Cameron. How are you going? Hi, Stephen. I'm very good. Thanks for taking the time out to do this. Okay. Um, now, start off. Tell us, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm uh, a 42-year-old guy. I, I grew up in sort of country Victoria and, uh, and then in... Um, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and uh, I was into racing from a young age, but uh, uh, but didn't sort of get into professional analysis until I was in my 20s. But um, yeah, I grew up there and travelled around a bit, and these days live down the coast, down the Bellarmine Peninsula. I've got a large young family, got five children, and um, and uh, uh, yeah, doing this full time for a long time now. Okay, so how did you get into racing? Where was the first track that you went to? First track, well. I can't remember the first actual track I went to. It was probably it was probably actually Hillsville where, where, where I grew up. But um, but the first proper track, I suppose. My, my, I got into racing through my my father. My father was a, a successful punter and and analyst, and um, and he uh, helped he helped Don Scott with his uh, racing tome, the Winning Way, on um on on because Don was a New South Welshman. He helped him with the Victorian weight stuff, the Victorian uh, class and weight tables, and um. And he uh, and, and and he's actually acknowledged in the in the in the beginning of that book by Don. And so Dad actually got me into racing. Uh, I, I I liked it, and, and he took me down to the Melbourne Cup of '86, where um, I looked at the Sun form guide on the way down and made up some little point system for like stats at the distance and stats at the track and overall stats and recent form, and it, it selected the favourite at Talak as the as the pick, and um, and Dad had ten dollars on it for me. At, uh, five to one, I think it was, and I got back sixty. And that, as a ten-year-old, that uh, that had me very interested. And so, I guess Flemington was the first proper track I went to in the Melbourne Cup. Okay, so you started with a with a point system. Yeah. Um, how have you you would have evolved that over the yeah. over the last uh, few few years? So how so how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it did. And then so I then I, I continue to follow racing. Um, you know. Uh, loosely, I suppose, in the next couple of years. But then, when I was about 15 or so, um, I, was, I was interested in, in studying it more. And so, Dad gave me the winning way to read. Um, he copied that that he had that Diamond had actually signed, which is that which I which I now have uh, in my bookcase. And um, and he uh, and he said, all right, we'll read this. And uh, and so that just opened my eyes to you know a, a new way you could analyse racing as opposed to just sort of just looking at the Sun form guide. And um, and and this whole idea, and Don was such a brilliant writer. He was such an amazing writer. Like he was not only a great punter, but like when he retired, he then wrote several plays. He was he was a he was he was a, a champion debater and a wonderful writer. And so the books were so well written and so sort of convincing that um, that I just uh, I just this new world opened up to me. This new world of racing analysis, where where in in his world it was using. Uh, class and weight to to rate them and then compare them like for like and such and I thought well this is and then turn that into a price which you value but and I, I just thought yes well this is you know I, I, was, I was like a religious convert I just uh, I, I thought this is what you have to do and so I started started dabbling in doing my own uh, class and weight ratings like that just on Victorian racing at the time and I'd, I'd do things like um I, I, I soon I, I got dad to go to the, the printing press place and Don had a sheet for the past races and he had a sheet for the upcoming races and I got dad to photocopy me several hundred of each of those so that I could uh, start to build up my own my own ratings and I uh, I even got the 
those old card index things, you know, and, and like Don used to do, I'd, I'd have a one, for, well, I'd have one for every horse that, and, and carefully transcribe each line in of, of their of their form as I went um, with their with some details about each race, and so I'd, so I had by after a while I had this huge big roller index thing of uh, of, of cards for these Victorian horses. I was basically doing the metros and main provincials only, and um, and then uh, and then I'd do the form and do things like write down to the TAB and the TAB guy knew Dad, so he turn a blind eyes and put the odd bet on um and uh and yeah really starting to get into it and that was that was sort of where all this began for me was was doing that don didn't like well don said he didn't like to use times but i I think that's actually wrong i think he used them a lot more than he makes out but um but but he was very much class and weight rating frame so that's how i started out but then after that when i was about 18 i started reading andy bayer's books the american time professional and uh and and I realised, well, hang on, there's more to time here than than what Don used to say, and so it started to develop for me. I started to then actually do time ratings rather than straight weight ratings, uh, class ratings, and um and and it was a bit more wild because straight up time ratings can be can be pretty wild and pretty raw, but it was therefore I was teaching myself, you know, and, and Dad read Bayer's books as well, and so it, so we were sort of doing time rating, and Dad was still doing some ratings at times as well himself, so I would put my ratings into his database he had and um and uh so i was really giving myself an education in different ways to analyze races it all started out with with scott's books as i say led through to andy bayers and and it sort of progressed from there um then, then i took some time off and went traveling and came back and uh, went to uni for a little bit and uh and it wasn't until i got a uh i landed a job working as an analyst for mark reeb when i was 23 uh, or 4 whatever it was um that I then then saw another side to it where Mark would use uh, more about the pace and the sectionals and that kind of thing, and so it sort of kept developing from there really. Um, and where it got to the point, I left working for Mark after a couple of years and started developing my own methods even more. And it's just it's just been a I guess it's been a constantly developing thing until I until I went out on my own punting uh, in uh, 2007 and. So it's yeah, it, it had taken me. I'd probably I left Mark Reed at 2002, and so the next sort of five years really, I was sort of developing and uh, and and still working, and um and so it's it's been a constantly evolving process really since I was about 15, I suppose. Okay, so where do you where do you find your edges your edges now? Well, it's all the edge is in having accurate ratings, um, and then using them the right way when you do the form. Um, so as I said, it started out being class ratings, and and then and then I was doing time ratings, and then. Mark taught me about Mark Reed. Uh, Mark Reed taught me about using their sections and things. So it is really, it's actually really the way I work out my ratings is really a combination of those three things: of of the class of the race is the, is the established starting point, and then you use their times and their sectionals to work out now what did they really actually do here, and uh, and then and then obviously adjusting to such things like uh, the weight they carried that day, and then obviously the weight in the upcoming race, and then when you do the form, you say you, you start with their ratings. That you work out what kind of a horse is this, what what is his ability? What can he rate if everything goes right? And therefore, what do I think he'll rate today, given uh, given the circumstances of today's race, given who's riding him or her, given uh, you know his suitability to distance, suitability to track, suitability to map, and his reliability. And th- th- those are the core, and, and and of course the trainer and the trainer's reliability to get a horse to perform. Um, and those are the core components of doing the form. And the, but the, but accurate ratings have to be the backbone of it. If you're going to be a ratings analyst. Then your ratings got to be right, and 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 
I guess that's where it comes back to Perth for me is is uh, it's a good place to rate because it's a pretty stable environment. Um, you know, if if a track if it's if if tracks are constantly raining throughout the day, it's quite hard to work out what they've rated, and so your ratings might not be quite as reliable. Um, so the edge comes in having really reliable ratings, and also also being able to then turn those ratings into a good predicted figure for the upcoming for the upcoming uh, race. Okay, so uh, why what what uh, led you to you know, looking at uh, West Australian racing? Uh, Mark Reed led me to that because um, I was doing I was the second in charge to Melbourne under the best analyst I've come across a guy called Jared Toomey and um, and he taught me a lot up there and then I was put on to doing Adelaide because the Adelaide guy had left or whatever I can't remember what happened and um, and I was doing Adelaide for a while and that was uh, was a bit depressing and um, and then uh, the Perth guy left and so Mark just told me I was now doing Perth as well. And uh, and um, as anybody knows, Mark, you uh, you don't really argue with that. You just then go to cop it and go and do it. And so I found I liked Perth a lot more than uh, Adelaide. And um, and so from there, I sort of I hadn't paid much attention to Perth racing prior to that. And uh, and I sort of uh, thought, oh, hang on, uh, yeah, there's there's, there's some, bone, uh, some some advantages here, some some advantages. And so I always after I'd left that, I still maintained an interest in Perth racing. And as I built, obviously being a Victorian, I um. You know, uh, Victoria was what I sort of based myself on, but but it's it's actually the Perth racing is is what I find the most reliable in a lot of ways, and uh, and yeah, so I've maintained a very strong interest in it ever since. Okay, what what uh, what tracks do you like in 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 Perth particularly? Well, I, I like most of them. There's a couple I don't I don't touch: Esperance and Narragin. Esperance is a beautiful place to visit, but um, we've been there a few times. But its track is too quirky, and so it's it's too much about being the right spot. Narragin's much the same, and a lot of Narragin a lot of Narragin horses are Narragin specialists. They'll go great there, and their figures everywhere else never live up to um, what they can do at Narragin. So, like I've started the form for tomorrow. There's a horse who's at Ascot, and um, sorry, uh, yeah, a horse who's at Ascot who was at Narragin, who's, who's been performing well. But all of his wins have been Narragin, and his ratings at uh, other tracks outside of Narragin are nowhere near as good. So it, that's the kind of stuff I stay away from. But I mean, Ascot's reliable you know what you're always going to get it's on pace but that's fine because you know it's always going to be that way um it's like Caulfield in a lot of ways it, you know in, on the short trips you want to be you don't have to be on rail but it, it sometimes it is an advantage but as long, as long as you're on pace on those short trips then you're in the right spot but you, as long as you know what you're in for with that it's fine Belmont holds up well in the winter um Northern Pinjarra Bunbury uh are all good places to bet and I, I do Geraldton's a little bit lesser and Albany's a little bit lesser but I do do them and go okay there, and, that, and, that, and that's that's sort of the crux. That's sort of, unless I've forgotten one, I think don't think I have. Um, but that's sort of the crux of it. There's only a, there's only you know six or seven tracks here that I'm really betting on. So it's not it's not form lines everywhere. They've had those tracks have got a really strong history um, uh, because they because they only race in a few. You know they've got, they've got a big history in each track, so I can work out all right this this track this distance you need to be here. You know or or it might be it doesn't matter where you, where you can be. Like Bunbury is a bit more fair than some of the others. Um, and so I, I know the tracks. You get to know the horses because there's no interstate riders, um, and and uh, in interstate riders, I should say. I mean, there there are obviously the carnival, but that's you know that's a very small amount of the, the total. Um, and there's far less wet tracks, and so there's far less sort of chaos with that kind of thing and biases that happen on wet tracks and things like that. Obviously, there are some wet tracks in winter, but far less of them. 
And so the ratings tend to settle out and work out well. As I say, the whole key here is to have accurate, reliable ratings, or else the whole system falls down. Um, and so that's and so yeah, so they're they're the tracks I bet, and that's you know that's how I think they work. Okay, so then you use your ratings to uh, determine the uh, determine your bets. Um, mm. So what type of bets will you be looking at sending sending out our members? Um, yep. How many bets a week? A number of approximately how many units will you will you spend a week? And yeah, yeah, sure. Well, Perth, the number well the number of bets will depend on how many meetings are in a given week. But but um, they usually have usually have on average about four meetings a week. Um, sometimes more. There's there's rarely less than that, but sometimes more. Um, a normal week would would in, would would have a Wednesday meeting, a Thursday meeting, one or maybe two Saturday meetings. But the secondary Saturday meeting is generally pretty poor, and a Sunday meeting. Um, I, I meant to mention Kalgoorlie before. I do I do do Kalgoorlie too, but but it, it's I'm not as keen on it as I am on the on the on the um, on the ones on the more on the west coast. Um, now, uh, so it, it averages out. So if if we look at four meetings a week, um, it averages out about about two. So roughly 10 bets per week, therefore, um, and the estimated, uh, sorry, the, the, yeah, the unit, the unit suggested unit amount varies, but on average it's about 1.2, 1.3 units of bank per bet. So I think you could say at a minimum it'd be 12 units a week, um, but yeah, I would say minimum, and that'd be probably a conservative figure. Okay. Um, so as far as yeah, and as far as uh, yeah, unit of bank recommended. That that that's as a percentage of bank. So one point two is one point two percent of bank, etc. Okay. So um, given the uh, the time zone, when would you normally expect to release your bets? Yeah. Well, the, as yeah, it depends on the time zone. As you say, well, um, right now, uh, obviously I'm in Victoria. Right now, Perth is three hours uh, behind Victoria. So at this time of the year, I, I think we're looking at one p.m. as the release time, um, which is of course, 10 a.m. over there. So, if, so essentially, you could say we're looking, looking at releasing at 10 a.m. Perth time, um, which is 1 p.m. at the moment, Eastern States time or uh, well, New South Wales and Victoria time. And when it's non-daylight savings, 12 p.m. Uh, Eastern States time. Okay, so that's allowing time for the scratchings to come out, for the markets yeah. to stabilise. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and then identify where there's value um, gives, at that point. Me, yeah, it gives me time to fix up and change whatever needs to be changed after scratchings. There's not as much scratchings in WA as there is in meetings in Victoria or, or in Queensland. There's, you know, in Brisbane, there's you know, they have half the field scratched. Um, yeah, but it just, yeah, you, you've got to have time to finalise everything and, and not, not rush it out and make sure make sure the bets are right and make sure you're given the right ones. So 10 a.m. Perth time seems like a good time to me. Okay, so, well, uh... Your previous results. What are you looking at for profit on turnover long term? Yeah, well, in the last year and a bit, um, the uh, my 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 bets have uh, made about ten percent on turnover, and that's and I and I can't see any reason why I won't continue with that. My my more recent results, in the last three or four months, are, are higher than that. Um, but uh, but I'm not going to go saying that they're going to be outlandishly. Big just because the last three or four months have been really good. Um, I'll I'll stick with the ten percent, which I think is well and truly acceptable anyway. And if we uh, if we get more than that, then well, that's good. Okay. And what type of information do you send out with um with your bets? 
Yeah. Um, well, if, if any if, if any of the listeners are subscribed to Mark Roden's service, it'll be the same as Mark's service, which will be, <coughs> pardon me, which will be um, a, uh, a an outline of the race with all of my prices, with a comment uh, for each horse and a race comment, um, and also what the suggested bets are, uh, the unit amounts, uh, um, and that kind of thing. So the, the the you'll get the full service as far as all my prices and such. So if people want to go market change and people want to go back in some of the overlays later or whatever then, then they can and I'm, I'm i'm happy to sort of steer them on on how i think they should do that uh if the members want um you know down the track uh but uh but certainly they'll they'll have all my prices there you know for people who play exotics a lot of people have to play quaddies and things and and so i do too um and so if uh you know if they want to if they want to be doing those kinds of things then they'll have all my markets there not just the bets on the markets they can use for whatever whatever takes their fancy really Okay, and for for West Australian betting, are there any bookmakers that you find are preferable to use, uh, given the given the market is over there is a little different to the um, east coast? Um, yeah, well, the 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 best of the best product is a good product no matter what because you're getting you're getting the best of either top fluck or the best tote or SP. Um, so it, it, and and their betting markets are okay as far as the the, uh, the fluctuations to mean that top fluck is can be a reasonable product, and the SP can turn out pretty well as well. I'm, I'm talking about the metros here at the moment, um, and so so that Betfair is reasonably reasonably okay. But uh, between those and but I'll often suggest to take well not often but but I'll, I'll commonly commonly enough suggest to take the fixed price uh, when I think it's wrong. When I think you know and, and in that case you just got to try to get get on for as much as you can at the fixed price before it goes, and then and then take something like best of the best because what what happens. In, in all these markets, not just in uh, East Coast or in Perth or wherever, what happens is, is the last five minutes of betting is dictated to by the robots, by the syndicates, and, they, and, and if they don't like something, even if it's been back daily, if they don't like it, it goes back out. So I, Mark and I discuss this regularly, Mark Roden, that is, and I discuss this regularly, it's, it's, it's bloody impossible to predict what the robots are going to do. They, one thing, you'll be sure they're going to like this, they have to, this looks a good thing, they must, this must be backed. And and then it drifts out in the last few minutes and you have no idea why. So the, the robots are you know they're of their own minds obviously. Uh, so but that means that best of the best and Betfair SP are viable because they run that. If if they don't if they don't like a horse, it'll drift on Betfair SP. And of course all the bookmakers just follow Betfair anyway. So so it'll drift on track and therefore the totes will get out as well as as, as the robots adjust the totes. So products like best of the best, but also if there isn't a best of the best available, something like best tote SP. They're very, they're very, very viable products in that respect. Okay, so you expect that our, that our members will be able to get a get a good bet on. Yeah, and depending on what their bet size is, if they have to spread it across two or three of those mediums, then then well and good. Um, you know, but if, if if but there's a couple of people who offer best tote SP, for example, so you could you could uh, get on with a couple a couple of them, and then well, I mean several offer it, but some of them won't let you on. Um, and then and then. You know, you as I say, depending on their bet size, if they want, they, you put some in a Betfair SP as well, uh, and potentially if they've got time, shop around because in the last couple of minutes for for a price. If they don't have time to shopping around for a price in the last few minutes, well, that's fine. You just put it all on whatever I've suggested at the start, whether it be best and best or best total SP or, or whatever it might be. And yes, yeah, so yeah, you can get a decent bet on because uh, because you can spread it around like that. So there's enough liquidity in the markets to be able to do it. Yeah, well, in, in in the case of best Toad SP, the, the liquidity is is the bookmaker's, you know, his satchel. So 
if, if, if he's taking the bet, it's not going into any pool unless he bets it back into the tote or he bets it back into the uh, into the ring. Then um, then the liquidity is 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 you know just what what he's willing to take on as his risk. Okay, and um, how how are the official results recorded? With oh your... well, the official yeah the official results will be exactly what uh, I've suggested. So if I say uh, have 1.8 units on this thing um, at the fixed price $3, then obviously it's re- recorded as 1.8 units as a $3, assuming that $3 is available. And, and it's got to be transparent in that respect. And, you know, if, if the $3 isn't there when the email is going, if it's gone, you know, if it's disappeared, like if I'll prepare the email 10 minutes before and it's going out 10 minutes later and the $3 is gone, then we adjust the suggested state, uh, the suggested uh, price to take all might change to, well, actually back it this way now instead. So if I say, Best Toad SP, for example, then obviously it's just recorded that. So it'll be recorded exactly as suggested with the with the staking size suggested and uh, and for complete transparency. Okay. Um, so uh, thanks for your today, time today, Cameron. That uh, yep. was a fair bit about your service. Um, are there any, any racetracks in particular you'd recommend for people who are either travelling to Perth or in Perth to go to for a good day out at the races? Yeah, well, I, I've only been to a couple of them. I've been to, been to, uh, been to Belmont, been to Ascot. I um, can't remember if I got to West. No, I don't think I ever got to West Prince, but I would say, I would say if you wanted to uh, visit um, a track like West Prince would be wonderful because it's a beautiful part of the world as well. The south coast down there is stunning, and Albany looks like it's stunning as well. I haven't actually been there. I've travelled around, but I've never got, never saw Albany. Um, and uh, so those tracks would be good. As far as the good tracks, the the Belmont, Belmont the Belmont's nice, but uh, and Ascot's nice. But the the one that would be the best if you could get there. I haven't been here, but I've seen on the telly. My jaw drops. Would be Broome. Broome looks stunning. The, the racetrack's right on the water, and that big, that beautiful coastline out the side of it there and people have been there tell me it's absolutely stunning and so i'm looking forward to at some point in my life getting over to Broome and having a look at that do you do you often send uh bets out for Broome? no i don't bet on those kind of tracks no um up north there's a few the the, the yeah there's there are more tracks up up there like that and carnivan and these kind of places um but no i don't bet on those at all okay great and uh so once again thanks for your time and uh Good punting. No worries. Thanks very much, David. I hope uh, I hope it clarifies some things for all the members. And uh, and if if not, I'm, I'm you know feel free to get in contact with with Winning Edge and if any questions, I'm happy to answer. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, David. Okay.